Now, I realized as soon as I began studying for this, it wasn't going to be a one-nighter. There's no way I can do this in one night. So it's going to take a few weeks. Now, you're not going to like this, but I want you to like this. Next week, we're going to have Jeff, Pastor Jeff Little and his praise team are finally going to get to come and be with us. And I want it to be this kind of turnout or better. This is a spring break turnout. I want it to be a better turnout. All right? Uh, because Pastor Jeff is a great, great communicator, 3,000-member church in the shadow of Gateway. I mean, he's built 3,000 people in the shadow of Gateway. And um, so uh, looking forward to that. They're going to come and lead us in worship. After that, the Wednesday after, I'm going to pick up this series and continue with it. And I'll show you at the end uh, tonight what we'll be on next time. So how many of you can come next Wednesday night for Pastor Jeff and his praise team? If you're not going to come, don't raise your hand. I don't want to see it. Okay? But please try to come. And, and bring a friend. It's going to be a wonderful time. We're going to have a great time in the Lord, a uh, great time of worship. Now, I told you that I was going to talk about Israel, God's timepiece. And I really wanted to uh, just start where I think everything ought to start, and that's with Jesus. So we're going to talk about Jesus, the indisputable prophet. And uh, we're going to look at some of the things he predicted regarding the last days and the time in which he lived. So it's going to bless you tonight, and it's going to lay a foundation for the next time, uh, and it's only going to get stronger and better, and I think this is going to be an incredible series. Who knows? We might go from this into the book of Revelation. You never know. You never know. You could do it. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessing tonight. Thank you for the prophetic word. Lord, this incredible validation that the Bible is your word. Now, Lord, help us to see tonight, to understand what Jesus prophesied, what the word holds for our day, that we would be a people who understand the signs of the times and not be in the dark. Now, can you pray a prayer with me, church, and say, Lord, help me to have wisdom and to be prepared for what is coming in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. <laughs> amen. All right, let's look at um, Israel, God's timepiece. How many of you have felt like when you watch the news, you're reading parts of the Bible, and when you read parts of the Bible, you're reading the news? Have you felt that way? All right. Now, since we're going to be looking at Bible prophecy concerning Israel and current events, I want to begin at the beginning with the Lord Jesus, who was the ultimate prophet. Now, here's the way I see Jesus. Most of the time when you say Jesus, somebody, somebody will think, Savior. All right, he hung on a cross. He's my Savior. But as I have grown in the Lord and, and continue to study the Word and been around for quite some time now, I've, uh, I've really expanded the way I see Jesus. I believe Jesus, not just Savior, not just the predicted Messiah, but the greatest philosopher teacher that ever lived. I mean, if you, want to read, if you want to know how to live life, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. In those three chapters, Jesus puts to shame all the philosophers of the world. 
So greatest philosopher teacher and the greatest prophet. Now they all uh, prophesied in errant scripture. That is prophecies that came to pass or will come to pass with 100% accuracy. But the places Jesus went in the realm of prophecy, I don't see any of the other prophets doing in the Bible. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. So he's, he's Messiah, he's Savior, great teacher, greatest philosopher, but the great prophet, Jesus. The great prophet, Jesus. So I called him the ultimate prophet, the indisputable prophet. Now Jesus prophesied about future events, both near to his time and far down the road, reaching all the way down to us today. Very powerful prophecy to foretell the future before it ever comes and not miss one detail. Nobody can do that, folks, but God or somebody who is being moved on by God. Only God knows the end from the beginning, all right? So that when we arrive somewhere, God knew the end before the beginning began. And only God can do that. Now, we find in the Bible that Jesus uttered some of the most remarkable prophecies concerning Jerusalem, the future of Israel, and the world at large of anyone in the Bible. And you know that your Bible is about a quarter prophecy? So before anything else, I want to establish Jesus' credentials tonight as, as a bona fide prophet by looking at some examples. And some of these you're not going to have thought about. I didn't think about it in terms of prophecy until I started getting ready for this um, a few days ago. Now, we find in many of the gospel accounts of his ministry that Jesus predicted future events on a regular basis. Just read the red in your gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the red and look at how often Jesus predicted future events. In Mark's gospel, the fast gospel that reads like a newspaper, Jesus predicted things that would occur in the short term, even on the very day that he spoke them. Now, you may say, well, that, that, that's not hard. You try predicting events, not missing a detail, at 9 o'clock in the morning that are going to happen at 9 o'clock that night. Try it. In Mark 11, let me give you some examples. We are told, and I preached on this Sunday, but let's look at it again. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem... To Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, now look at how he starts prophesying. You will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. How do you know that? Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? And that's exactly what the owner said. You say, the Lord needs it. The Lord has need of it. And immediately, he will send it here. Now, that, he prophesied there. Because how many of you know an owner could have said, you're not taking this donkey. Get out of here. I'm getting my gun. Okay? But, but Jesus knew that the owner would turn loose of it. He predicted it. It's a prophecy. And so they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street. And they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? Just like Jesus said. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. Now here we see that Jesus knew that a colt would be found in the neighboring town. He foresaw his condition tied up. 
He also knew that the owner would protest and exactly how the protest would be worded. It all happened just exactly as he had predicted to the detail. Now another example, Mark 14. Out, uh, and he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. How did he know that? Really, it's almost kind of spooky if it wasn't the Lord. Go into a city and you're going to run into somebody carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room. Notice how Jesus is prophesying. He's going to show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So the disciples went out, came into the city, and found it, what? Say it with me. Just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now look at this. Jesus had peered into the short-term future, and he prophesied several things. First, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Notice how Jesus was at the end before the beginning began. So when you go into your tomorrow, he's already there. Second, as you follow him, he will enter a house. And you're to go in after him. Well, hey, that's B and E in our day, breaking and entering. But Jesus said, you go with him because I've told you exactly what you're going to encounter. Third, you will encounter the master of the house. How do you know the master was going to be home? Ask him in my name where the room is where I can eat the Passover with my disciples. Fourth, he would show them a room. Not just a room. He said it's going to be a large room, second story, and it's going to be fully furnished and prepared. So I want us to get a grasp here on a real basic scale, all right, that Jesus prophesied all the time and he never missed. Jesus went ahead of them. He he was already there. Now here's the thing about God. God doesn't abide in time like we do. God abides in an eternal present. So in the future, he's already there. In the present, he's already here. And in the past, he's there. He is not subject to time. He doesn't age. He can't. He created time and he created things to abide in time that wear down with time, but not God. So God's already in your next year, knowing how you're going to arrive, what you're going to arrive to. That's why the psalmist was able to say, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He goes ahead of me and prepares for my arrival. And he knows how I'm going to arrive and what I'm going to need so that if you really get a grip on this, it does a number on anxiety and worry. Some of you are looking for a job. God's already there. He already knows where you're going to land. In the meantime, he's taking care of you. I mean, there's, there's, I could just stop right here and preach the rest of the night, but I can't. But, but notice this. It's, it's amazing. His disciples went out and found exactly as he had said to them. Not one detail was off. Jesus had predicted in the morning time events that would unfold later that day. In one day, this happened. 
He saw it all as if he had watched a movie of it. And this is also exactly what happened when Jesus told Simon Peter that he would deny him three times. This really hit me today in a way that I've never thought about. That Here's Simon Peter. Jesus tells the disciples, you're all going to be offended because of me and deny me. Here comes Simon Peter who always spoke before he thought. And he said, not me. The rest of these sissies might, but not me. I'm the one that got out of the boat and walked on the water. Yeah, I sank, but I walked for a while. I'm your man, Lord. I'm the one who said you're the Christ, so I'm not going to do it. Jesus said, prophesying. You will deny me three times, Peter, but I'm already there, and let me tell you what it's going to look like. You're going to deny me three times right before a rooster crows twice. Now, Jesus knew that individuals were going to confront him three times. Jesus knew that he was going to deny him vehemently three times. And Jesus was already in the future before it happened and said, there's going to be a rooster. The Bible says in Mark, the first denial that Peter made, the rooster crowed once. The second denial, no rooster crow. The third denial, And Peter remembered it. And it says he went out and wept bitterly because the Lord had prophesied his fall. The good thing is he also prophesied his restoration. But you see with me on these, these, these little examples, how Jesus was a prophet without fail who never missed a detail. And, and what I want you to see here is if he did it with this accuracy, in, in a 24-hour time span, then we can assume when he prophesies further down the road, he's going to be 100% accurate. Now, when we come to chapter 13 of Mark, we find Jesus answering two questions from his disciples. Now, this same drama happens in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21. And let me go into this that, that took place because what happens with what we're about to read led into one of the greatest prophecies ever uttered in the history of mankind. And it came out of the mouth of Jesus about events both near and far. Now let's look. In Matthew's account, in, in, in Mark and Luke, the same two questions are answered. But in Matthew's account, a third one is answer, uh, asked. And I'm going to um, read you that in just a moment. Let's look at Mark's account. Mark 13, 1 through 2, then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And it was magnificent. It was magnificent. And they were bragging on it. It was one of the wonders of the world, Herod's temple. Some said it was greater than Solomon's temple. So here they are, they're bragging on the temple. Wow, isn't this incredible, Lord? Isn't this amazing? Have you ever seen an edifice like that? And they're all taken by it, but not Jesus. He wasn't taken by it at all because he knew that within it, God didn't have his way. God's will wasn't done. There was no God. It was just a temple. So Jesus answered and said to him, do you see these great buildings? Now, what did he say, church? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, when Jesus said that, he prophesied. When he prophesied, do you think he was going to be as accurate as he was with the three examples I gave you? Oh, yeah. He was just as accurate. Now, watch this. 
This statement from Jesus about the future destruction of the temple stunned the disciples. I tried to think of something, um, some parallel um, example I could give you, and this kind of works, but it'd be like somebody predicting the imminent utter destruction of Cowboy Stadium or the AT&T complex I was in uh, this week. Seats 100,000 people. It's supposed to be the greatest sports stadium in the country. It's almost as if I said... Do you see this great stadium? I tell you that this will not exist in one year. It will be nothing but dust. It will be gone. You would say, no way. Well, the temple, and when Jesus talked about its imminent destruction, it caused within them ten times that reaction because their, their affections were there. That's, that's where their religion and where, where their, their God was based. It was their church. The disciples got with Jesus privately, and they couldn't wait. And they asked three questions, two recorded by Mark and Luke, and a third one recorded by Matthew. We're going to add Matthew's question in the following quotes. So here they are. First, they asked, tell us, when will these things be? Second question, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? That's Mark 13, 4. Then in Matthew, here comes the third question. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, pay real close attention, church. Because this is, this is where people really get messed up and mixed up and miss what Jesus said. The first two questions, and I'm going to go over this over and over, be sure we get it. The first two questions had to do with what Jesus had just said about the temple. The third question, they decided, well, as long as we're asking, we might as well go down to the end of time. And they asked him the third question, What is going to be the sign of your reappearing and the end of the age? Now, it's very important to pay careful attention to the wording here when the disciples asked, when will these things be? They were talking about the destruction of the temple that he had just talked about. Jesus had said the temple was going to be destroyed. They asked, when will these things happen? And Mark and Luke Both record only the two questions having to do with that particular event. Matthew includes the third question that reaches all the way to the end of the age, to the return of Christ to the world, to the end of time as we know it. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, the end of time, the end of all things? When is it all going to wrap up, Lord? So when Jesus first begins his answer, what do you think he's going to address? He addressed the first two questions. He he says, uh, and they were, when will these things be the destruction of the temple? And what will be the sign when all these things, the destruction of the temple, be fulfilled? Now, much of what Jesus answered the disciples concerning what was soon to come upon their generation has been interpreted by many to be aimed at us today, but they weren't. They were aimed at them. We have to keep in mind that here stands Jesus... 2,100 years ago, he's standing in Jerusalem in front of the temple talking to Jewish men who lived in Israel, 
predicting events that were going to come upon their generation. When are these things? They want to know, hey, this is going to impact me. If you're telling me the temple is going to be destroyed, now you're messing with my stuff. So I want to know, when is this going to happen, Lord? Are we going to be alive to see this? How soon is this? It was an answer to questions they had asked about one of his predictions, the prediction of the destruction of the temple. Now, Matthew's third question lets us know that part of what Jesus said in response did indeed have to do with the end of time, with the last of the last days, but not all of what he said. So what did Jesus say would happen to their generation, and was he accurate? He begins by warning them about the various calamities that would come their way, and you're going to recognize this. But now, let me, let me clarify, church, why I'm starting here. Because I, I want us just to get a, a, a foundation on Jesus as a prophet and how many of the prophecies we thought had to do with us really had to do with them, but there's plenty that have to do with us. But we need to learn to distinguish between the two and rightly divide this word. Okay? So we're just laying a foundation tonight. Here we go. Jesus said first that there would be deceivers. He said the first thing out of his mouth, and he said it three or four times in his discourse, be not deceived. He said your greatest danger is deception. Your greatest danger is being deceived. Now, he was speaking that to them in lieu of the time period between his prediction and the destruction of the temple. You with me? They said, when will these things be? And he begins. He begins telling them things that are going to happen. Signs that they will see coming to pass before the destruction of the temple. What are, what are going to be the signs, Lord, that we can look for that this is about to occur? The destruction of the temple. Now, how long was it between when he answered these questions and the destruction of the temple happened? It was 40 years. 70 A.D., one of the most important dates in all of history, when Jerusalem would be completely destroyed, surrounded by armies, starved out, attacked. 600,000 Jews within that city were slaughtered. The city was leveled. The temple was totally destroyed, and not one stone was left on another. Forty years from the time Jesus spoke this. So there, now they didn't know that at the time. They didn't know for sure when it was going to happen. And I think that helps us here tonight because Jesus told us concerning my return, you don't know when I'm going to come back. But here are the signs you can look for. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. Jesus had said, this temple is coming down and this city, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. But you didn't receive me. John said he came to his own, the Jew, and his own, the Jewish people, did not receive him. He wept over Jerusalem. He knew what was coming to Jerusalem in four decades. It was imminent. But they didn't know it. He just said, I can't tell you the exact date, 70 A.D. They didn't know that. But he did give them signs. 
So that when the city was destroyed, one thing he had told them that I don't go over here, but I, I know it, I can tell it to you. He, he, he said, woe to those who are with child in those days. Woe to those who are great with child who are pregnant in those days. Now he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He said, he said when you see the signs I'm telling you about, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, when you see... It turned out to be the Roman legions laying siege to this city. I'm going to give you a window to get out of here. Flee to the mountains of Judea. Now we know from history that when the Romans surrounded Jerusalem, something happened back in Rome and the leader, Titus, was called back and and there was a little break in their siege of the city. And when that break happened and the pressure let up, the, the, the Jewish Christians that knew what Jesus had said, when you see these things coming to pass, flee this place. They fled in mass into the hills of Judea, those who were believers and knew the warning of Jesus. While 600,000 of them were trapped and they all died a terrible death. You see, Jesus gave his own an escape. Oh, it pays to obey God, folks. When he gives you an escape, you take it. And so they fled. He, and uh, he, remember he said, pray that your, your flight isn't on the Sabbath because they were laden down, burdened down with mosaic ritual and, and laws and, and they would not have run. They would not have exerted themselves on the Sabbath. So he said, pray that you, your flight doesn't happen on the Sabbath Pray that you're not pregnant with a child. And so he gave them a gracious, merciful, open window to run before the Romans really moved in and took the city, which took seven years. And they were saved. They were preserved. To me, that's such a picture of the rapture. Okay? That, That God delivers before the judgment comes. But that's another topic for another night. So Jesus is now giving them signs that they're to look for. And now we know these signs were going to happen within 40 years. In the 40 years between his prediction and the fulfillment. So he said, first, there's going to be deceivers. Now, did such deceivers or false Christs arise and deceive many in those 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem? Yes, And thank God we have Roman historians uh, who wrote about it. According to Josephus, the greatest, he was a Jewish historian, but according to Josephus, the the noted Jewish historian, 12 years after our Savior's death, a certain imposter named Thutis persuaded a great multitude to follow him to the River Jordan, which he claimed would divide shades of Joshua for their passage. He said, come on with me to the Jordan. It's going to split, just like it did for Joshua and the children of Israel. Of course, he was a false prophet. And you know that at the time of Felix, who's mentioned in the book of Acts, the country of the Jews was so filled with imposters that Felix had put to death imposters, frauds, religious frauds, every day. That's written in the history books. A statement that indicates there were many, what? Many what? False prophets. So there was much deception. Just like Jesus said. Careful that you're not deceived. 
Now, then he said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Did this happen in those 40 years between 30 A.D. and 70 A.D.? Yep. Within a short time, the Roman Empire was filled with strife, insurrection, and wars. Before the fall of Jerusalem happened, this is one little example. Four Roman emperors had experienced violent deaths in the space of 18 months. Those Roman emperors, they just killed, they got killed. They weren't in office long when usually their army killed them. Because the army got paid every time there was a new emperor. Did you know that? The Roman army got, it was some deal written in their laws so that when a new emperor came into power, the army got a little pay boost. So talk about incentive to kill the new emperor. And more times than not, it was the army, Roman army that killed the the new emperor. But there were four, imagine, four violent deaths, four major turnovers in the government of Rome in 18 months. How many of you would have aspired to emperorship? No, made you a sitting target. Okay. But there was wars, rumors, just like Jesus said. Isn't it hard for us to imagine now? And I can tell it's kind of sinking in with some of you. We've, we've read these things and always thought, well, that has to do with right now. And I'm not saying it doesn't, but it was particularly aimed right at the disciples who said, when will these things be? And what will be the signs that they're coming? And Jesus rattled off these signs, prophetic predictions. This is what's going to be happening before the temple is destroyed. Jesus also predicted that famines, earthquakes, and pestilence would occur in various places. Did that happen? Let's look. The Bible records that there was famine throughout all the world in the days of Claudius Caesar, Acts eleven twenty eight. Judea was especially hard hit by famine. You remember when... Uh, Paul and the disciples raised money to take to the church folks that are in Jerusalem and give them relief. Well, that was during this famine. There was a famine, and it rocked the world. Jesus had said, before the temple's destroyed, you're going to see famines on a major level, and they did. And what about pestilences, which is plague? You better believe it. One historian wrote of pestilence, at Rome in the days of Nero, so severe that when the, in the space of one autumn there died no less than 30,000 people in one fall, one autumn. 30,000 wiped out by plague. Jesus said there's going to be plague, pestilence, famine in many places before the temple is destroyed. Josephus records that pestilences raged in Babylonia in A.D. 40. Tacitus, Roman historian, tells us of uh, pestilences in Italy in A.D. 65. So yes, there were pestilences in those years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And finally, what of earthquakes? What about earthquakes? Jesus said there's going to be earthquakes in many various places. Tacitus, again, mentions earthquakes at Rome. He wrote that, quote, frequent earthquakes occurred by which many houses were thrown down and that 12 populous cities of Asia fell in ruins from an earthquake before the temple was destroyed. Was prophet Jesus accurate? Oh, yeah. Now, these, however, let's keep in mind, these things were not to be looked upon as signs that the end of all time 
was here, but rather would be the things the disciples must endure as they awaited the end that they had just asked about, the end that Jesus had spoken of, the end of the temple. Now in Luke 21, 24, now it gets interesting because here in Luke 21, 24, Luke records one of Jesus' predictions reaching well beyond 70 AD, past the destruction of the temple. He predicted that following the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple, look at what he said. They, the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Now that's post-AD 70. So now he's moving down the tunnel of time, going further, did prophet Jesus. And Jerusalem, he said, will be trampled by Gentiles until, read this with me, everybody, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, I think we have only one genuinely Jewish person here. I know Mike is. Anybody else in here Jewish, full-blood Jewish? Anybody? Okay, so we all be Gentiles, right? So guess what? He just spoke this about you. He's talking about you here. The times of the Gentiles. Well, what in the world is the times of the Gentiles? Did you know that Paul talked about the same things in Romans 11? Look what he said in verse 25. He said, a partial hardening of the heart has come upon Israel until what? Say it with me. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? What are the times of the Gentiles? Here's what it simply means. That Jerusalem would remain under Gentile control until the return of Christ. That comes all the way down to the end of time. And this has been the case. Quick history. The Jews that survived the Jerusalem siege were scattered throughout the world. You remember what uh, Moses prophesied. He said, you're going to reject your Redeemer. He told them. You're going to reject God's solution for you, Messiah. He said, because you do, when you lay your head down at night, you're going to wish it were morning. And when you wake up in the morning, you're going to wish it were night. You're not going to have any place to rest. You're going to be persecuted from nation to nation, place to place, because you rejected Messiah Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. When Jerusalem was destroyed, those who did get away were scattered throughout the whole world. And Jerusalem came under Gentile control up until 1948, and more specifically, 1967. At first, here's who took it. The Romans held it for a few more centuries. Then Western Rome collapsed. Then Rome collapsed, and all that was left was Eastern Rome, Constantinople, and all of that. And that's another night. But then it was conquered by, guess who? Muslim armies. And they held it for centuries and centuries, even with the Crusades. Even though in the first crusade, Jerusalem was recaptured by the Christians, uh, the Muslims retook it later. So it was under Muslim control for centuries. Finally, the British captured Jerusalem uh, during World War I marking the first time in many, many centuries that Christians had held the city when the Brits captured it. And then when Israel became a nation again in 1948, what a day that was, 
And when Israeli armies took Jerusalem again in 1967, in the remarkable, miraculous Six-Day War, an incredible Bible prophecy was literally fulfilled. Well, many of them. I'm only going to give you one example because I could read the prophecies all night long about God saying, I'm going to bring my people back to their homeland. Where they've been scattered, I'm going to bring them back. Nobody imagined it would be 20 centuries, but it was. The prophet Ezekiel had predicted, quote, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Don't you love that? In other words, when he speaks, it's done. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. Now, shock of shocks, who would ever have imagined, there's even a Bible verse about this, that a nation was born in a day. Nowhere in history, folks, has there ever been a race of people who were scattered and lost their homeland and centuries later regained it and became a nation again. It's never happened. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And then in the 1967 Six-Day War, they retook Jerusalem. Now, as an aside... We also know the day will come when Antichrist will make a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, which would again place Israel under a level of Gentile control. So while they have taken Israel again and they have occupied Jerusalem again, it's still going to have a, 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 a bump in the road, an interruption, when under desperation a politician rises up out of nowhere, dripping with charisma an orator of orators, slick, can't even begin to describe him, magnetic, likable, he comes to power overnight, he will cut a deal with Israel. Have you, has it ever occurred to you how every president, wow, almost as far back as I can remember, has tried to be the one to cut a peace deal with Israel between the Israelis and the Arabs? And stop this crazy battling. No one's ever been able to do it. If you ever wake up one morning and you look at the news and you see that some politician, particularly European, has swooped in and cut a deal with Israel and it's seven years long, lift up your heads. Because you're looking at Antichrist. So there is going to be a a bump in the road again. He'll make that peace treaty with Israel. It'll be seven years long. Everybody will think he's a hero. He will become an overnight sensation, the Bible says. The whole world will come under his spell. He will have a sidekick called the false prophet. And this false prophet will be the religious side of the political Antichrist. Antichrist will be political. The false prophet will be religious. Your mind can go a lot of places there. What religious person has sway over the whole world? has impact with the whole world. I'm not going to say it. I'm just saying there's a lot of possibilities. But a few make sense. This false prophet will do signs and wonders and will point to the Antichrist like John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. And he will say, he's your man. He's your answer. He's your guy. And as a duo, this peace treaty will be cut. 
and he will quickly bring much of the world under his control. Under Antichrist comes the famous mark of the beast, which we're so set up for now, so set up for now. John could never have seen it. I saw a mark on the back of their hand or on their forehead. It was, it was three sets of six digits. Here you got a first century man describing 21st century computer technology. And there will be a one-world currency, a one-world economic system, and whoever doesn't receive the mark, you know the story, on their hand or on their forehead, is cut out of being able to buy and sell. And is it hard now to even be... It's so easy now, let me put it that way, to comprehend how anybody who won't do it is so easily tracked. So, I mean, now they've got drones... The size of flies. They have drones that they can, I read this today or yesterday, they have drones now that they can lower down next to you and explode them. Drones. I mean, if you're going to fade to black, if you're going to disappear in this culture, you've got to throw away that iPhone, throw away that watch, throw away. You, you've got to, and even then, I mean, even on my little iPad, I can pull up Google Maps and I can zoom in over this building and I can see them finishing this parking lot. See, John saw all of this in the Revelation. So this man will rise up and he will cut a peace treaty with Israel. And when he does, Israel again comes under a level of Gentile control because he will not be, I don't believe he'll be Jewish. He'll be a European politician coming out of the revived Roman Confederacy, a ten-nation confederacy, revived Rome. He'll come out of there. I have wondered lately if maybe he's Muslim. Seriously. Because in the book of Revelation... When you find, and I'm not digressing here, I'm, I'm staying right on track, but I want you to watch this. It, it struck me in the book of Revelation, when you find all those souls under the altar saying, when will you avenge us, God? It says they were all beheaded. It's, it makes a point of saying that. And I used to think, well, that's, that's real first century, because now it would be bullets and other stuff. But no. Because the Revelation is, is the prophecy of Jesus. <clears throat> the ultimate end, folks, of Gentile control over Jerusalem will only take place at the return of Christ when Jesus himself will rule the world out of Jerusalem. It says, it says he will land on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives will cleave in half east to west and Jesus will rule this world with a, rod, a, a scepter of righteousness and a rod of iron, that is authority. And there will finally be peace on earth and they will beat their Soars into plowshares, and there will be war no more. And the lion will lay down with the lamb, and children will play in 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 poisonous snake holes because there's no more adversity, creature to creature, species to species. There's peace. Birds won't fly away from you anymore. Uh, animals won't run from you anymore. I, I look forward to the day that I can do this, and birds land on my arm. Come here. You're not afraid of me anymore. Because now what the fall did is utterly eradicated and erased by the return and rule of Jesus Christ. So. Now, 
here's, here's my point, and we'll, we'll close. Jesus himself placed Israel at the epicenter of Bible prophecy. Save a few ref- references to the world at large in, in, in his answer to his disciples, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark uh, 13, when he answered them. He mentions a couple of times the world at large, but most of what he says revolves around Israel. In Bible prophecy, Israel is the center of the world, the ground zero around which the events of the rest of the world will revolve. Israel gave us the Bible. Israel gave us all the prophets. Israel gave us the Savior, Messiah, Jesus himself. And Zechariah tells us in no uncertain terms, catch this, Zechariah 12, speaking of the last days, he says, I will make Jerusalem and Judah like a cup of poison to all the nearby nations. Has that happened already? Do you know that only Muslim nations that are anti-Israel and anti-Semitic surround that nation now? I will make Jerusalem and Judah like a cup of poison to all the nearby nations that send their armies to surround Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be... Let's stand and we're going to read this together. I want you to walk out remembering this verse. It's so powerful. Read it with me. Jerusalem will be a heavy stone burdening the world. Are we there? Come on, church. Are we there? Isn't it amazing that that little piece of real estate about the size of New Jersey, the whole world is burdened by it. And though all the nations of the earth unite in an attempt to move her, they will all be crushed. Wow. That's why I say, we say don't mess with Texas. If you're a believing Christian, you say don't mess with Israel. And that's why I'm so concerned with what our government's doing right now. Oh, our government, our current administration treating Benjamin not Netanyahu like they have. And, oh, my. Listen, folks, we don't need more reasons for God to judge us. But there you have it. That's the promise. Now, next time, we're going to look at a sweeping, astonishing prophecy by the prophet Ezekiel that will identify who the nations are that are going to surround Jerusalem and what their fate will be. And it is breathtaking It is, you're white-knuckled when you're done going through this, so week after next, come prepared, all right? But how many of you will be here next week for Pastor Jeff, his praise team? We're going to have a great time with another pastor, and it's going to be wonderful, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for Prophet Jesus. Can we just lift our hands and say, Lord, thank you for the sure prophecies of Scripture. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, help us to be ready as a church to take your word to this lost and dying nation. Yes, Lord. Lord, I believe we will finally, ultimately take it to the whole world. Lord, thank you for blessing us to do it. Can you just breathe a prayer as we get ready and say, Lord, help me be ready. Let's sing one stanza before we lift your hands to the Lord Jesus, Son of God.